0: Introducing the Poet Life Podcast. Go check it out today on your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Apple Music, and the website, thepoetlife.com.
1: Find a way, find a way. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's the Poet Life Podcast with a brand new episode for you all, man. Here my good brother, Christoph Jenkins. We have a special guest in the building. Three words to describe this man passion power and potency it's like the beast unleashed when he's on the microphone when this guy spits it's like you feel what he's saying you hear what he's saying you see what he's talking about It's like that that visceral pull that kind of grabs you in and keeps you there until he's finished and even after you're still left wondering man this dude really just went that hard we got black chakra man from baltimore maryland he about to break down some of how he sees the game and some of the jewels that he's used to carry him from right now from where he was and where he's going to go further. So I want to introduce to those who may not know and those who do know again, Black Chocolate. How you doing, good brother? I'm good, brother. Thank you all for having me on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No problem, man. No problem, Definitely. Definitely. Um, just for those who may not know, man, tell us a little bit about, before we get to the details, full details, a little about your story um, and what led to the pen. So basically just try to format how you got to being a poet. When I was uh, younger,
2: I was an MC, and uh, mastering the art of lyricism was very important to me. Specifically because, like, when you're coming up in the 90s, like, when I came up, I'm I'm a baby from 89. So by 99, I was 10. So the 90s is when I was taking in hip hop. Uh, The first rap songs I learned was 187 by Snoop Dogg, Brooklyn Zoo by O.G.B., and uh, Wu-Tang Triumph. And... What I learned is like from Triumph is like, okay, you have to be very intelligent for a verse to start with atomically Socrates, Socrates, philosophy, in philosophy.
1: In See what I'm saying like
2: I didn't quite understand what he meant, but I knew that um what I knew was that you had to be intelligent to do this. So because I realized you had to be intelligent to do this, that changed the way I studied hip-hop. So it became more like a scholarly thing. And my father he directed me to the idea that if you do something, you have to be the best at it. And I asked him how. And he said you have to study it. So I began to read tons of books and then I began to study not so much just dictionaries, but a thesaurus. The thesaurus is more helpful than a dictionary because what a the thesaurus will do is take the things that you're already saying and you can find a whole new way to say them. Instead of like instead of trying to use words that you know that people like, if I'm up there, you through with this because I'm indubitous like it's not no, it's not how this works. But if mm-hmm. you find a way to use diction in the same way you have, but just expand the way you use your diction, I think that was a part of like the process when I was coming up. And then by the time I was in middle school, I started battling cats. And because I was fat and dark-skinned, it was like, that's young Biggie. It was really insulting. <laughs> it was really insulting. But um, my brother had gotten into poetry when he was in high school. And uh, you know he was horrible. But, <laughs> but people seemed to like what he was doing. And I'm like, I feel like I'm a better lyricist than this. So when I got to high school, I kind of started getting into poetry more, started reading more poetry books, trying to encompass poetry into my style. It really wasn't working until I got into spoken word poetry. In my junior year of high school, we started the poetry club at Woodlawn, which is called uh, Rap Real Authentic Poets. And um, what I learned was how to speak a poem out loud. And I learned a lot of things about the presentation of writing a poem and how a rap could become a poem. And so I think that had a lot to build me. And then years of open micing in college and then as an adult, like I spent years just listening. Like a lot of people, when they go to open mics and the first thing they do is they, they can't wait to perform. Mm-hmm. I spent many years quiet. I sat it for, I spent all of like 2013 just going to open mics and listening. So what makes a feature so good? What are they hearing? Why, is, why do people like this so much? What is great about this? And I took that in and I learned how to encompass certain things in my style. And then when it comes to my style, I learned there were things I could do, things I couldn't do, things that helped me in a poem. And now, you know, I'm 2015 Baltimore World War Champion, 2015 National Rap Slam Champion, 2016 National Poetry Slam Champion, 2017 Baltimore Grand Slam Champion, 2017 Southern Fried New Pick Champion, 2017 Southern Fried Slam Champion, 2018 World War Champion, 2018 Texas Grand Slam Champion, 2018 Southern Fried Slam Champion. 2019 Slam champion, 2019 Black Warrior Slam champion, 2019 Summer Pride Slam champion, and 2019 Rust Belt Slam champion, and 2019 uh,
1: Cleveland, Ohio Slam champion. So let me ask you this, man, because what you're saying is phenomenal. That's like some Michael Jordan six rings, some Bill Russell can't fill his fingers type situation. I want to ask you this. So being where you're from, right, and being your style, do you think it goes hand-to-hand? It's kind of like why you do what you do and why you're a battle poet.
2: Baltimore, absolutely, brother. Baltimore is a very
1: bar heavy
2: city. Me and Lamar Hill, a very bar heavy poet, we were having this conversation. I had lunch with him yesterday, uh, which I like to do before I have an interview. It's good to like get a basis with other poets before you speak about the scene. Just, uh, this this just a personal belief of mine. Um, and he was telling me like we were talking like how Baltimore is a bar heavy city. Like, there are a lot of poets who can win slams out of, mm-hmm. out of state and, you know, do great all across America and come to Baltimore. It's like, oh, we have a very strong hip-hop aesthetic. The rhymer here be God. So, the, and I had to come up under poets like Archie the Messenger, Lamar Hill, Talam AC, E the Poet MC, mm-hmm. uh, Langston Hughes, who's my favorite poet, and coming up under them... Like, you get this hip hop style internalized in you. Mm-hmm. I just, and I was already doing hip hop well. I just had to learn how to translate and spoken words. So, yeah, it puts a lot of pressure on you. And they're like, I'm not going to lie, man. If I made a Baltimore slam team and didn't put none of the people who've been on the slam team and just did a Legends of Baltimore and made a slam team made of Lamar, Archie, Talam, Either Poet MC, and Olu Butterfly. Okay. Like, yeah, Sangston's been on our team, thank God. He's the GOAT on our team. S- <laughs> Sangston had been uh, slamming on multiple teams for years, yes. but he never had a Baltimore team to slam on. He's the one who developed the Baltimore team, helped cultivate the Baltimore team, and because of that, we were able to go nationally and slam and make the name for ourselves that we were done. It was all because of Syston. He came up with it. He got us Poetry Slam, Inc. PSI certified. That's all Sangston's work. Sangston is a... Uh, a strong hand behind me as well. I was just a kid when I first saw Slangston and then I was uh, in college, and he was destroying me in slams. It was not pretty. It was not pretty. It was like watching an ant versus a machine gun. It was not pretty, but um, I would describe what I learned from Slangston, a lot like that scene in The Matrix, when uh, Morpheus and Neo are in that room in the martial art gear and he's just it's like I don't okay, you've learned some stuff, okay, I'm gonna throw all these punches at you. You better learn how to block. And I just had to learn how to block and it was just and then eventually I would just get to a writing standpoint and I would write so many poems and produce enough quality work where I could beat sliced in a slam, which to me was like the greatest thing I had ever yeah, done. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. So yeah, he's 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 my goat definitely. Syston Hughes taught me that spoken word has no parameters. You know there's all these ideas of what people think spoken word sounds like the stereotypical, Linda, yeah. Linda, you know, that whole idea. And then there's the, the idea of the dragging and the words, and then there's the brother man, but then there's the other man. You know, there's all these, you know, there's these, all these ideas you get in styles right. that, that are so cliche when spoken word is explained to you. But then I heard psychic yeah. cues and none of that was right. real anymore. And I realized, I heard him my senior year of high school. I had went to a, uh, my teacher had took us to an open mic. I think, no, my junior year. And I heard him and I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was like, this, this sounds like the lost member of Wu-Tang. This isn't spoken word, is it? And that was the moment I realized spoken word could sound how I wanted to. And he was gracious enough to mentor me in my uh, early 20s, take me to different slam competitions. I, asked, I had a conversation with him one night. I said, listen, man, I don't need you to pay for me. I don't want no favors. I don't need you to help me out with anything. I just want to know, can I go where you go? and Can I ask you questions? I just, I just want to learn from you. You're the best that I've ever seen. And I, I feel like if I'm going to learn how to do this, I have to learn it from you. And he was very gracious. He was very respectable, very kind. He was like, I got you. And he taught me a lot about uh, the art of poetry slamming. I, I would say the beast half of what you see from me, that comes from like slicing training. Okay. So you, so you an athlete? Coming so up I'm, too? I'm glad you brought that up.
1: You were athlete coming up? Go ahead. Uh, no, I was not much of an athlete.
2: I was pretty good at Matt wrestling though.
1: Okay. Cause, cause I was gonna say, because I, I was gonna ask you, like, not necessarily why I slam, but do you think that competitive drive can come from that? Because, like I said, it goes, it goes hand in hand. Where you from? What you seen? What you experienced? And do you put it all together? And then being having a rap background, Wu Tang, for example, we're talking about coming crazy with the bars. So all that makes sense. But that i was gonna add you with know, Chris off. Huh? So. Um
2: go battle rap. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Battle rap. When I was a kid, as you as you know, because we we all I'd say at least late 20s, early 30s, yeah. brother. Um I only say that because you look about 27. 29. There we go. See? See, see black on no crack, baby. Anyway, um so battle rap was very different when I was coming up. We we were like teenagers when smack started happening with the idea of like memorized versus uh, Acapella, you know that that got introduced as the mainstay when I was growing up Battle rap was so much like off the top because you got to remember I was in middle school when eight mile came out mm-hmm. So being the best off the top became the thing so I was learning how to freestyle and all that stuff but also years before in my uh, elementary school days I was put in these programs because so I had been tested and on paper tests, it, it, they, they thought I was remedial. And then when I had took verbal tests, they thought I was a genius. So mm-hmm. they had to keep testing me. And these tests were like the difference between me going to my regular school or going to a remedial school or possibly being put in this like elite school. Mm-hmm. So because of that, I had to write on a different level. I had to learn how to study. And so that's where the competitive nature comes from, testing, yes. okay. like, and I had repressed these memories for years. It wasn't until like I had started taking my goddaughter to school that started to come back because I was in high school, and teachers would be like, What is up with you? You just are so ignorant when it comes to taking tests, but you're so smart, and I just couldn't figure it out. It's because the stress of it, but what it built was this like competitive nature. And then you couple that with the fact that I was rapping, and like I said, I was a yes. I'm a big kid, I'm dark-skinned. People said I have a white voice. People were finding all these ways to make fun of me, and I still had to win, I had to persevere. So that, those two coupled together created this like ultra competitive drive in me. And I see how the world treats winners compared to how it treats losers. So it just, it just created this monster. And that's why I work so hard. Like every year of my life, I have won something since I was in eighth grade. Actually, since I was in fifth grade, I have won something every year of my life. Wow.
1: Said,
0: uh-huh. man. <laughs> well, let me Andrew. ask you. Um let's let's I take a few steps back, man, and and um
2: I just want this he you say? Come, I just want to finish answering just this one thing. He was like environment. Yes, in Baltimore. Yeah, go ahead. In Baltimore, the very the very area you live in is the challenge because if you live in the city, then people are going to expect you to be tough. And if you live in Baltimore County, now you have to prove yourself. In the city, it's like oh I'm tough, and we all assume it. In Baltimore yeah, County, it's like oh you tough. Now we got to scrap to see if you really is. And it was the same way with rap. I I lie to you not when I told you I had my life threatened multiple times at rap battles. I've rap had it to battle. battle. Yeah,
1: it went on somebody so bad. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh
2: oh my god. It, it got to a point. There was a scenario. My friend. And hey, then you already
1: coming coming come through passionate, so he probably taking you aggressive by the you know saying. Oh, hey, right, oh no. man,
2: like and of, look, you see, I'm a nerd. You feel me, like. I used to walk around Superman shirts, you know, real nerdy, real proud of my nerdism, talking about like sci-fi movies in front of people. Mm-hmm. So people got this idea and they would come back me like, yeah, I'm about to fry this nerd. And then I would snap because I'm like, bro, all I was listening to when I was in high school was like big pun Cassidy and Eminem. It's like, they're going to die messing with yeah. me. Yeah. And uh, my friend, he had disrespected these two dudes in the neighborhood said they raps with black, all kinds of stuff like that. And they saw us outside of this bar, ironically, bars bar inside of a bar. And um, they got mad at him. And they went to scrap with him. I deaded all that. I was like, that's trash. I tried to scrap with him over some online stuff. This is punk stuff. And my youngin, he was like, none of y'all going to battle, though. And I'm looking at him like, yo, I just defused the situation. Mm-hmm. So dudes came over there. and They like 10 deep. I'm like, we can't beat them in no fight because I'm not John Rick. And they was like, the dude was like, I F you up in the battle. And I F you up in the battle. And I told them, I said, I got you. And then I had to look at them and I said, yo, are we rapping or is we scrapping? And they was like, what that mean? I said, I don't want to get punched in the face in the middle of a verse because I'm about to fry your mans. And they laughed,
1: and then they mans
2: got fried and they were real confused. So my life was, and when I said that to them, they was like, well, let's see. I say this, you win, maybe we let you live. And I laughed, I laughed, I laughed so hard. And then I destroyed them really badly. So that's that's literally like the competitive all the reasons the competitive nature exists in me and where it all came from and like why it seems that way on stage because it's literally been life or death scenarios sometimes. Gotcha. Yeah. No doubt.
0: Mm. Well, let me ask you about the beginning stages. You know, we we, we jumped a little bit, right? So you mentioned um, taking notes, right? Uh, your your beginning stages. You you took a lot of notes. You waited. You went to open mics, you went to rap battles and watched and listened mm-hmm. and uh, took it all in. Right. Um, mm-hmm. How important how important is that for the poet, uh, the artist, uh, before they get
2: started? So what I explain to people is there are talented poets and there are skilled poets. I am not a talented poet. I am a skilled poet. I worked to develop this. My talent is getting in front of people and being entertaining. Like if I didn't do poetry, I could find any way to stand in front of people for 30 minutes and be the most entertaining person in the room. I did it in in class when I was the class clown. I do it now. I, I did one feature in Texas and in the middle of my poetry set, I just stopped and did 10 minutes of stand up just to see if I could do it. And it came out pretty decent, but like, that's my talent my talent is not afraid to stand up in front of people and be entertaining poetry is something i have studied i have worked at i read multiple books on like this is not something i developed overnight like i would tell friends as a child like oh i can't come outside i'm punished and my mother would be like well, you're not punished why are you saying that i was like oh i want to stay in the house and listen to lyrics i need to understand how how fit you put that bar together and that's what I would do on the radio. So for me, there are a lot of poets with talent and those talented poets, they, they can, they're they just gifted at putting words together. They were born that way, they were scholars. They don't know what a double entendre is, but they write them. Mm-hmm. That's never been me. And so right. for me, it's about being the scholar and the way that I've developed the skill and the way I've worked towards it and going to listen at open mics and hearing what people like, that was a part of me developing the skill. Um, other poets, they didn't have to do that That's because poetry is their talent. So it depends on the poet, really. Like if there's certain poets I, I mentor and I see the writing is good, but they, they don't know a lot about the standing in front of people and stuff like that, and I'm like, they need to do what I was doing. You need to go see what presence looks like. Right. like I would look at Archie the Messenger and I'd be like, he's encapsulating the stage. He's, he's taking up the stage with his arms. And then the patterns, he's flowing at a pace that allows people to follow the poem better. And I was like, okay, Slangston. I said, Slangston's unassuming. He goes on stage, he looks very calm, and then you're nowhere near prepared for the explosion he has. With Lamar, Lamar, it's like, it's a preacher voice. It, it makes people feel comfortable like they're walking into a church. It's the voice. It's like, so I started studying all these things. And I, I tell people, I don't have like a great voice. And people are like, no, you do. No, I don't, I really don't. Like if you listen to Lady Brion, Lamar Hill, you listen to me, you're like, oh yeah, my voice isn't the most appealing thing about my poetry, but the writing is. And if you spent years as a hip hop fan, my cadence is familiar. So you're like, oh, I can accept his voice because if you ever heard of Biggie, Big L, Eminem, it's like, oh yeah, his voice sounds fine because you listen to hip hop. But my voice, is, it's, it's the writing. So um, that's why I would say like, or the, the beginnings or why I would do those things. And I would only suggest it for certain poets. There are certain poets have no idea what we do. I once got, I once had a conversation with somebody in college and they was like, I didn't know you could teach somebody how to be a rapper or how to be a spoken word writer. I said, anything can be taught, but you have to develop the skill. The skill has to be worked on. Um, what is developing the skill like? Developing the skill means you actually have to practice writing. You have no idea how many people hit me up. Hey man, all my raps sound simple. I'm trying to get to this level, man. How do I do that? I send them this page back. I say, listen. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write a rap. I don't want you to say your name. I don't want you to say the word the. I don't want you to say the word I, spit, fire. I don't want none of that in the poem. Uh and but and ors none of those. Now write the rap. And they'd stop talking to me. That's the last I hear from them. Because it's difficult. But what would you do? Wow. What would you do if you had to? Like, right. yeah. These are things you have to practice to get the skill up right and many poets like i said are talented so they just get these things i'm, I'm not th- i'm not that person i'm not that person i had to study these things very valuable yeah. and learn so i think that's where it comes from why i went to, like so many open mics so, so long
0: so would you say it's important to know thyself right know know your dna and know the lane that you're trying to be in um but also study the lane so you can figure out what lane you want to be in
2: that's good that's good now well let me go ahead no no i know i was gonna say you're on uh, you're on the money because there's a conversation about lanes that is, man man yeah i know i know it's like two podcasts
0: yeah mage like if that's heavy right there that that one right there is is an episode in and of itself, like you said, like uh, determining your lane. That takes time. Yeah. Because I was going to ask you my next question while I wrote this down. You started off in hip-hop and rap and battle rap, so the question to you is this. Why spoken word and not the others?
2: So, like I said, I got introduced into spoken word my junior year of high school, and... I was okay at it. I'm. I'm not. I think I was good for a high schooler. But then again, I hear my high schoolers, and I don't feel like I was that good. Like if I if I went against my students when I was a kid, they would have destroyed me. But also, they had me as a teacher. Yeah. So I'm like, maybe remove me as a teacher if I wasn't a disability. So, um, so I kept that relationship going between me, spoken word, and hip hop, um, uh, all the way until I got to college, mm-hmm. and I did this slam. Now, I had just won a talent show with this specific poem that I did. And I won a college slam. It was a terrible college slam, horribly organized. But we won nonetheless, me and my community college. And that was crazy. So I had entered one of Baltimore's big slams. The big slam we had the third war. And the prize is $700. And I entered, and uh, I didn't score very high. And uh, a very great poet uh, was one of the judges. And he said, I think as a poet, you suck. And I think as a rapper, you suck. Now, you can't hurt my rap either. You can't hurt my rap ego. Let's just say I have lived too many moments of ripping people and destroying people's hip-hop dreams. To, my rap ego is the Hulk. Um okay. not the Hulk that went against Thanos, but the Hulk that was fighting Thor and Ragnarok. But my, yeah. my rap ego was untouchable. I'm like, you can't you can't convince me I can't out rap you. Mm-hmm. Um however, the poetry thing I agreed with. I was like, maybe he's right. I don't think I suck. But I was like, there's things I have to learn. Mm-hmm. And then one day, pause. Before we get to that second part, my whole life has been lyricism. I have been writing my entire life. I have been writing my entire life. Writing and reading and writing and writing and writing and writing. writing. I care so much about how a word is put together. Like I I sometimes dream whole poems and wake up and write them. Like I care about lyricism. All my favorite MCs are like dudes I think are so good lyricism like J, M, Big L, Biggie, Nas, Cool G Rap, Black Thought, J Electronica, Sky Zoo, Loaded Lux. Like, I like these people because I like what they do with bars specifically. And I I, I love how words come together. Mm -hmm. I'm going to a hip-hop show with my mans, and I'm spitting a song at the time that I thought was my best verse, you feel me? And uh, I said this line, I was like, what am I without fire? Something I must address. Without putting on a dress, how do you doubt fire? Which I thought was like, Mm -hmm. crazy, right? Uh, The crowd was just nodding their heads. They didn't catch me. And I said, stop the beat. And I did the whole verse over. And I could barely get through a line without people going crazy. And I was like, I hand the mic to him. I said, I think I'm done. I am greedy in hip-hop. Like, I, I, you know, I still rap and I still do the beat thing when I, when I want to or when I want to produce a project. But I'm here for the words, to give people the genuine understanding of the writing and the talent of the writing. And I think beats are sometimes a safety net and and a blocker for how powerful and potent my words really are. And I didn't want to share that relationship anymore. I didn't want to, I didn't want to share that relationship anymore. And in spoken word... Spoken word, there's no safety net, man. You're either a good poet, a great poet, or a bad poet. You, you can't fake right. it. Or you can fake it for a little while until they hear the better poet. Mm-hmm. No names said, because respect. But there was a poet in my city, and they were getting quite a amount of buzz. And I listened to them and didn't think they deserved. And also, yeah. there were some moments where I felt that this poet was disrespecting me. So... I started, and, and, and I had this, this this weird antithesis in my head where I'm like, why do people put so much stock into this person? Why do they think this person is so good? And I realized, I said, because they are performing in places that you think you're too good to go. And for me, being the best in my city, there's a, there's a documentary called The Art of 16 Bars, not the art of rap that Ice-T had, The Art of 16 Bars, where they talk to rappers, they talk about all kinds of stuff. Khalid Kwali said, if you want to be put on for me as a rapper, I need to know that you're the best of your city. When I land my plane and I ask, who's the best rapper here? If they don't say your name, then I don't put any faith in you. So, and I believe that, I carry that to spoken word with me. So if all these people are believing this person is really great, I'm like, I have to go down where, he, where they are and I have to make people see. So in doing that, like I started to build this idea and stuff like that. It's a very hip hop mentality that I brought with me. But for me, it's that important, uh, the writing, the level, and that people see. So you can fake it for a while until the contrast comes. And once the contrast comes, then it's like, oh, <sighs> I'm sorry. Like, there's a dude who I grew up with, really good basketball player. Really good. He was amazing. I mean, he uh, if you had seen him, you'd have been like, man, if he actually could pass class, he, he could go to college and ball. Um, and I used to tell him that all the time. His uncle came to visit one day. And you know, I'm not a baller. I'm terrible at basketball, man. The only sport I was ever good at was wrestling. Um, it's a very simple sport. Grab somebody, throw them. I was like, oh, this makes sense. I ain't gotta run, I ain't gotta chase nobody. They got they have to stand in front of me. I can do this. So basketball, not no, the, the handout coordination, I don't got it. I don't got it. So he's playing his uncle. His uncle was like college baller, and he was destroying him. I mean, this is the guy who was the best basketball player in my neighborhood. This kid was like 14 and 6'1". He was 6'1 at 14. I was like, this kid's clearly got what it takes. His, his uncle was like 5'9", five, 5'10", five, maybe, tw- maybe like 22. And what he did to him on that court, it taught me a valuable lesson that I've carried with me my whole life. I'm just like, oh, you're not the best. You're the best that I have seen. You're the best that I've seen. There is better. And when that better shows up, it's so obvious. Like, I'll have people be like, oh, yeah, I like this whack rapper, this whack rapper, this whack rapper. I'll rap. They'll acknowledge I'm better than that rapper, but they'll still listen to them. Because it's like, oh, you know the difference, but you don't care. You know, it's not obliviousness. It's ignorance. So in poetry, you can get away with it for a little while until your superior is heard. And once the superior is heard, then it doesn't matter. So that's what I... Love about spoken word more than hip hop. Hip hop, it's like a beat can lie to you. My favorite rappers are turn off the beat. Do they still sound dope? But a beat can fool people. It can make people think things or, or hear things in the lyrics that aren't there. In spoken word, no, it's just your it's your words versus mine. And, and can you outright me? And I love that.
1: That's dope, man. That's dope. That's good. Um. So when it comes to what you're saying right now, man, because a lot of what you, what you're saying is a lot of how my poetry career started and how it's going now as far as like having a rap voice, rap flow, you know, all, all, all that stuff, listening to certain rappers and having your favorite rappers be kinda of like your favorite poets in a way. Um when it comes to your poetry, right? And it comes mm-hmm. to your lane, there's a lot of poets in Baltimore. And it kind of seems like Baltimore is kinda of like a close knit community when it comes to poetry, because I know every time I've been to Baltimore and seen a slam, I see the same, the same poets, you know what I'm saying? So and then he also mobbed and comes to D.C. and do some events, too. So it's like, how would you describe the relationship with the poets in, in, in Baltimore? Because we had a conversation with Roscoe Burnham. Um, it was talking about how he goes to different places and the poets don't even like each other. They go to different states. The poets don't bang with each other. This state right here, they probably cool. But the other state right here, they got two different sides, half of this group, half of that group. So how would you describe the poet scene in Baltimore as far as the camaraderie?
2: First, I would say um, Baltimore is too small for that. You feel me? Baltimore too small for beef. I I run on this. I can run into this person anywhere. So like the the unnecessary energy, all that stuff. We too small of a city. There was a scenario that happened in uh, 2015 outside of Baltimore. So I was at the National Poetry Slam, and the Boston team won National MPS in 2015. Um, the poem that the Boston team used in the finals, uh, Melissa Lozada Olivia. She has this poem like it's called like totally whatever and it was an answer to a poem by taylor molly which is like one of taylor molly's biggest poems as a matter of fact taylor molly was on the first boston team to win nationals so he's boston nationals royalty and here she is 20 years later doing a poem that's totally like that's crapping on his poem and she won with it and i'm like wow that's crazy so I'm talking to uh, Love the Poet. She's a poet in Baltimore. She's one of my mentors. She's someone I bang with. And I was telling her about that. And the first thing she said to me is, as I think the best way to answer this question. And she was like, in Baltimore, for somebody to write a poem that this is somebody else's poem, it's got to be some serious stuff. She like, somebody do that to me. She's like, before I respond with a poem, she's like, I would call them, like, yo, what is your beef with me? Because that's a, that's serious. And, then, you know, down there in Boston, I don't know how they roll. But, you know, it's no disrespect to Melissa Lozada Olivia. Her poem was good. And I thought it answered his poem very well. It was disrespectful. But, hey, man, a good poem's a good poem. And I, I, I ain't here to judge nobody on how they win. Because that's not what I do. I'm a winner. So I'm not going to judge you on how you win. She wrote a poem. She won with it. I ain't a hater. However, for me, like, if I was going to, like, totally destroy one of my Baltimorean brothers or sisters' poem first I would have a whole conversation with them about the piece or why I feel like there needs to be a response to it or why I feel the poem is problematic. And because of the respect I have in the scene, I I'm okay to do that. And because we're humans, we literally are people who use our words for a living. If we can't find a way to talk this out, that's just dumb. It's Baltimore, yo people get murdered here every day. I got, I lost like I lost a homeboy like two weeks ago On like, mm-hmm. like you can't, beef here get real uncomfortable real fast. So like, it's good to just nip things in the butt. And the second way I would describe where I am in the Baltimore scene, I'm in the middle of two generations. I'm little bro and big bro all at once. Uh, Middle Child uh, by J. Cole. I very much am the hope of the Archies, the Lamars, Eve, the Love. All these people sign off on me and are like, yeah, he's the guy. He's their new guy. He's, he's, the, he's the best out right now. He's killing it. He's, he's, the, he's the number one guy. A lot of the legends of Baltimore co-sign me. But I'm also young enough where all of the new guys and new women, the, the ones in their mid-20s, early 20s, and 30s, they all come to me. I'm their OG, which is weird because I still feel like the kid, but I know I'm the OG and they come to me to learn things, stuff like that, because I've been I've been doing I've done a lot in my time, uh, just just overworking myself. But that being said, so because of where I exist in the scene, I can broaden with a lot of people. And also I try to respect as many poets as possible. Even if I don't like your art, I try to respect you as a human being. And if I don't like you as a human being, I try to respect your art. And if I don't like neither, I don't speak to you. I leave you alone. I don't got to disrespect you. You can you can check my Facebook, bro. Scroll down. Ain't no disses to no poets on there. Ain't no disrespect to nobody in my city. It's dumb. That's dumb. That's not what I'm doing. Uh, a lot of people, because through the blessings of God, and only through the blessings of God, um, I've been able to be considered one of the best in my city. What do I look like disrespecting some poet? Like that's dumb. It's like Jacob disrespecting you. There was one time I was at a show and this young poet took a shot at me. He said my name in he said my name in his poem, and everybody went, ooh. I didn't respond. I'm like, if I respond, I give you the power of Jacob Maybury, Black Shocker responding to you. And I don't want you to have that power. So I'm going to go on stage, do my poems, which are better. And then I'm going to go home with my money. Like, it's not, like, this is not for me. The competition isn't between me and some poet in Baltimore anymore. I'm competing with Loaded Lux. I'm competing with Eminem. I'm competing with Jay-Z. I'm competing with the best lyricists on earth. Everybody in my scene is like, oh yeah, y'all welcome to when you come up here. I'll see y'all later. But That being said, because of where I exist in my scene, it's just more respectability I show to my people, my poets. And for a scene to grow and prosper, there has to be a love, a respect, and a reciprocity. These people who come to the open mics, poets, supporters, doesn't matter who, they are my brothers and sisters because they are allowing me to live off of this. And because they're allowing me to live off of this, they are, allowed, they are allotted a certain amount of respect for me. And if you remember that humility and humbleness when you walk into a space, you really don't got to worry about beef. Even if people don't like me, it's okay. It's all right. Like, if nobody puts their hands on me, it really doesn't matter. Larry Lancaster, he's a stand-up comedian in Baltimore, he said to me back in 2015, a humble man can never be humiliated. And I have studied that and I have followed that creed my entire spoken word career after that. that I keep my humility up. I try to respect everybody. You know, there's no problem. So the Baltimore community ends up real tight And when there's a problem, if I have the ability to get in the middle, because some things ain't got nothing to do with me and I stay out of them. I'm like, you don't like that poet? You don't like, you know, some things got to do with relationships. You know what I'm saying? Certain relationships, I can't step in the middle of that. That ain't, that's too personal. But a poet feels disrespected or a poet didn't like this moment. I'll speak to them, and then I'll speak to another person immediately. I'll be like, what do you think of this scenario? Because this brother or his sister is calling me about this, and they'll talk to me like, well, I think you should handle it like this, and I'll listen to their advice. And, I'll, you know, most of the time I'm trying to talk people off ledges. Like, nah, man, like, okay, you didn't like what that person said in that poem. Have you spoke to them about it? Have you tried to have a conversation? Nah. I said, okay, so you one-sided beefing? You're really mad at somebody who did nothing to disrespect you? You just felt disrespected? Like, nah speak to that person we if the city is too small we need to be building each other this there's this idea in baltimore that it's crabs in a barrel we have to break that stereotype that means we have to tighten it we have to be willing to work together so
0: that's good man i i um from what you said um a lot of what you said speaks to our podcast model uplifting the poetry community and building the poetry industry so let me ask you this Um, do you believe that Baltimore is a poetry community um, and a poetry industry or just a poetry community right now building to a poetry industry?
2: A poetry community right now building into a poetry industry. Um, We had a slam team in the 90s, and they were good, but they never won. They even made the final stage once. And they disbanded that Slam team in 2008. And then, like I said, Slangston got us recertified in 2015. And back then, the Slam team wasn't a very black team. So me, Slangston, Breon, Grimm, and Kenneth something, we are the first Baltimore team to ever win a Nationals. We are the first Baltimore team to ever win a Rust Belt. We are the first Baltimore team, the same people, we are the first Baltimore team to win Southern Fried. We've won it three years in a row with three different combos of teams. The first year we won it, it was me, Slankston, Grimm, Breon, Mecca. The second year, it was me, Slankston, Grimm, Mecca, and Duke the Rude. And then the third year was me, Kenneth something, Slankston, Grimm, and Lady Breon. We've won it with three different combos. It's never happened, ever. Um, then I'm the first Baltimore poet to win Texas Grand Slam. Uh, <laughs> Lady Breon is the first Baltimore poet to like top three in Women of the World. Like. We're changing the narrative and that's making people interested because in the last five years since we've been competing in the national poetry scene, we've produced multiple champions. That 2016 when we won Nats and our youth team won Brave New Voices, that's only ever done one other time in history was 2014 when DC did it. Like, Mm -hmm. we're changing the narrative of Baltimore and this idea. So people are becoming more interested in how that we're producing these top. Poets are coming from other cities to compete in Baltimore. Now that's been a thing in the poetry scene for years. Poets come from other cities competing. compete. That was never a thing in Baltimore until recently. Because people want to be a part of the championship team. They want to know what makes this, this city so special. And um, I think specifically because we take poetry very seriously here. And uh, what we do here, the work, the intentionality of the writing and what we produce, and how hard it is, and impactful it is, and how potent it is—the the three P's that I'll talk about later—that um, works towards the art form and why we're so successful. And so, through slam, because of viral videos and mm-hmm. a lot of views on our youth and Mecca and me and Breon, we've been in Grim. We've been able to interest people in, a, in Baltimore poetry in a way that has never been interested in. So an industry can form out of this, but currently we are a community, and, which is why I work so very hard to convince a lot of members of our community to go to slam. We, I took this year off of the, the national slams. I mean, we all did thanks to COVID, but I took this year off specifically because I wanted other poets to come. I'm just like, feel comfortable, slam. Because ten years from now, it's not gonna be me. It's gonna be you. This is yours. I went to Dallas. I went to Austin, Texas, and I went. To, I featured at a slam there, and it was twenty some odd people in the slam, and it was forty some odd people in the audience, not including the twenty some odd people who were in the slam. And I said, "Oh, we're doing something wrong." I went to California uh, at this to the slam. This this a uh, um reg- register slam. They were trying to register for the team, and um. I was, uh, I was in a line that was wrapped around the building. And the dude who I was with, a poet named Alex Lou, I called him because he was parking the car. I said, Alex, what else is going on in the building, man? He said, nothing, just a slam. I said, okay, well, I'm in this long line. I don't know why. He said, "Yo, that's for the slam. So what are you talking about? This line is wrapped around the building. The line ain't wrapped around the building for the National Poetry Slam, which features the top four teams in the country. And all the teams that were competing in the competition. What do you mean? That's not wrapped around the corner. How is this? What is this? But that's the popularity of Rudy Francisco. (laughs) I mean, that brother, his popularity is untouchable. But Baltimore needs to build that. But that means I have to get out. I didn't slam this year because I felt like I was like, I have to get out of some people's way. I have to let people know, no, you need to go out for this team. This team does not belong to me. This team does not belong to Slangston, Kenneth brian and grim or mecca it belongs to baltimore and i'm convinced i I did a whole lot of um ambassador work to try and bring people to slam there's a lot of dope poets who just won't do it and i'm just like listen y'all got the talent y'all got the skill and you guys got to do this eventually and then you got to teach them the great things about slam this is a part of the industry we're trying to build because slam has been the way we've been building the industry so and i tell them slam before covid gave us online open mics, which were connecting us to communities all across the country. Slam was doing this. Um, before Slam, Rudy Francisco was a video. After Slam, Rudy Francisco was a number on my phone, along yeah. with McPherson, Javon Johnson, Stephen Willis. Um, I don't have Porsche O's number. I could get it. Talon AC. These are all people I can call right now. Um, I got Sheehan's number in here, too. Like It's just like, These people, and and they're gracious, they're all very amazing people who are kind and respectful and very, very gracious enough to talk to me when I call, you know, I, I got to just respect them for being a great community, but now you're connected. Like I I travel, I don't stay at hotels. I call somebody in the city. I'm just like, yo, what poets I know here. I do that on Facebook. They comment and I inbox. I'm like, yo, do you have a couch? Do you have a floor? Do you have a bathtub and a pillow? Because I ain't bougie, I sleep anywhere. I came here to make some money and leave, so I ain't got to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and because of that relationship and reciprocity or rapport that I've worked with the scene through SLAM, I've been able to build my brand, I've been able to build my money, my equity, my industry. And that's I think, is a part of the industry that I see building. But we have to stay in the national presence Baltimore must have a voice in the national scene. It is very important. I feel, and this is personal, I feel poetry suffered from not having a Baltimore poet's voice in that scene. You you can't imagine how many times I watched Button Poetry and was like, Ugh, what is this white supremacist poetry channel where trees make love to my mother's eyes and I become... A starling like Ugh, mm-hmm. Ugh, mm-hmm. Ugh. my depression mm-hmm. is a dog that I've been walking with no leash. I can't, take it no more. <laughs> I can't take it no more. I cannot take it no more. And it's not the writing, it's just like everybody sound like this. Don't nobody don't nobody got no DMX in a spirit. Don't nobody yeah. got Winston no Hughes in their soul. Ain't don't nobody sound like the last poets. Ain't no Mary Barack and nobody pen. Ew. Ew.
0: So who in Baltimore is going to 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 create and build the uh, not just the industry, but the the um, the button poetry, the the platform Who who's going to build the platform in Baltimore? You got this year. Hey, you got six more months.
2: How, how about
0: you to go quote, ahead and build
2: that platform to, to quote Sting uh, on one of my favorite songs, Sting and Eric Clapton did a song. Um, it was on uh, one of Sting's album, but it was specifically on the soundtrack of Lethal Weapon 3, and the song is called It Was Probably Me. It's going to have to be me. Um, and it's going to be a, another thing on top of the pile of... Man, mm-hmm. um, look, bro, like, when I tell you... I, I have, I'm cursed with ideas, bro. It's a curse. Same here. It's a curse. I'm cursed with ideas. Yeah. And then... If that wasn't enough, I'm cursed with the filthy thing that I know about affirmation and manifestation. So right. I know the ideas conform into reality when you just work yeah. at it. So I'm just disgusted with the workload I got. Yeah. Right. I say something and I'll be like, "Why you say that? Why you say that?" Because like it got to come to fruition now. Right. I made on Facebook. I was like, "Cause you know they debate brought the Sunday night movies back and they all mm-hmm. CBS and uh, they were showing Grease and I was like." How about an all-black casted grease, except all the songs are replaced with spoken word pieces, and instead of grease, it's called sheen or pomade. <laughs> and <laughs> poets started commenting like, "Are you writing this?" They started commenting like, "Are you writing this? Are you working on this?" And now, me and a poet te- te- a, me and a poet in Texas are, are teaming up, and we're actually working on it now. Nice. A joke on Facebook has now turned to a project on top of the 15 projects I've got. If you know how yeah. I back it up with poem ideas and stuff like that and show ideas and shows I'm right. writing, one man's and all this stuff. For me, yeah. I'm trying to not build just a bigger platform for Baltimore. I'm trying to build a bigger platform for
1: spoken word. There you I, go. My
2: goal is Netflix.
1: There
2: I need us streaming. I need us streaming. I'm already, thanks to uh, the work that First I've book? done Um, DC Scores, I'm on Amazon Prime and I was on Deaf Poetry Jam when they did the online fundraiser. So I've been on Deaf Poetry Jam and I've been on Amazon Prime and I got the Amazon Prime Connect. And I got that connect. It is not far-fetched that I could go to them with this show idea and make this work. I can do this. I can make this work. Well, I
0: know you connected with uh, Roscoe Burnham. We we had him on as our our first in in season two. And so he's he spilled the beans and, and, and uh, kind of broke it down on how to do it, you know? So it's possible. And Rothko
2: is not just my friend. He's a brother. He's a very respectful yeah. poet. He's a good man. Um, he's someone who always gave me advice, always was respectful to me. And, like, he never tried to sun me. He never tried to big bro me. He never tried right. to, pretend, oh, I got poetry success before you, so none of that boo boo He's always treated me as a brother. When I won, he was always in celebration of me winning. And uh, I have a lot of appreciation, love, and respect for Roscoe Byrne because of that.
0: Totally. Good dude. Real good dude, man. So let's get to these three P's, man. With those those three P's that characterize yourself and your character.
2: Power, potency, pin. What do I mean when I say power? Power is aligned with performance. When you are on stage, how encapsulating are you? Yes, there are very soft-spoken poets and they have their realm too, they exist, and I don't have anything against the soft-spoken poet. However, slam by the very nature of the name is explosive. It's bigger. When You go to a play, yes, there are soft-spoken scenes and then there are explosion scenes. Actors must know how to turn those on. Performers must know how to turn those on and yes, poets have to know how to turn those on. I have seen Talib Kweli perform multiple times. I have never enjoyed it because he is not explosive on stage. However, Jay-Z is the god of quiet. Jay-Z is very calm on stage and it works for him, but it has to be a master of that art form. So the power of how you wield your performance is very important. How well do you make eye contact? If you're not making eye contact, you can look at the center of the back of the room and then just scale the back of the room like that and it'll look like you're looking at people. It's just a trick I use. Um, eyes are the windows to the soul. So when you look someone in their eyes, you're at, you're literally stepping into their house. And because of that, making eye contact with a judge when you say something powerful or with an audience member, when you say something powerful, it connects in a different way. I have a poem called Taraji. The poem is about black women and my admiration for them and my ode to them and my respect to them. and I make sure that I connect eyes with every single black woman woman in the room that I can see when I do the poem. I, I try not to miss a single one. So each of them can go home. like He looked at me when he said that line about black and power and stuff like that. And for me, these things, what are you doing in your performance? I was, I was, ju- I was I'm so glad I did this yesterday. I was working with a young poet last night, and she's a very talented writer. But she cannot encapsulate me in her performance yet. So you learn things, I'm like peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys, there are lines where you can be calm. There are lines where you can be loud. There are lines where you need to be somber. Every emotion, every line you wrote in a different emotion. Like I'll ask somebody, what's the emotion of this line? And they're like, oh, this line is sad. So you have to translate it in a sad manner. But this line is comical. Now you have to translate it in a humorous manner. You see what I'm saying? Mastering those peaks and valleys takes people through the emotional roller coasters of what a poem is. Because a poem should not be one voice, one note. It should be many voices, many notes. It's a composition of music. In the Art of 16 Bars, they said flow. In hip hop was meant to imitate jazz instrumentals, like Biggie is a saxophone. I'm the notorious. You just lay down slow, like uh uh-uh, uh 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 uh. Uh-uh. So if you learn how to flow words and how to use your words and project them in a certain manner, you can literally grab different things. And the art of pause. Miles Davis said the pause in the middle of my compositions are as important as the instruments itself. Because they'll be in the middle of a, and that stop, and then the bass comes in, boom, 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 boom. And that, that switch of music is literally a switch of emotions. So, all that is a part of the power learning how to use your voice, how to wield your words, learning the art of the pause, learning how to master your emotions on stage. If you're doing a sad poem, and I don't feel sad, you have failed. Somebody reads me a poem, it happens all the time. People are like, I want you to hear this. The first thing I ask them when the poem is over, because I'm not, we don't need to talk about writing. We can debate writing of the poem for years. Like, what did you want me to feel? Mm. And did you successfully translate what you wanted me to feel? And if they did, then the poem is a success. If the point of the poem was for me to feel burdened the same way you do, if I feel burdened, successful. If the point of your poem was to make me feel happy and I feel burdened, oh, you have to redo the poem. You failed. You have to add the safety in there. You have to add the part where I'm supposed to feel happy and better. So like, that's all about the power, learning how to wield your voice, learning how to wield your words, learning how to take up a stage, how to move, how to master the emotions. So that's all what I mean when I say power. Potency. Potency has to do with the concepts and subjects of your poem. There are two types of poems. There are microcosm poems and there are macrocosm poems. Now, a really great poem can be a microcosm and a macrocosm at the same time, but it's not always necessary. Sometimes poems are completely about you. Sometimes poems are seemingly about you, but they're about the world. Sometimes poems are seemingly about the world and they're really about you. That's a micro macro. But a microcosm poem essentially is a poem that's, if I'm talking about my relationship with my father, it's a microcosm poem, because it's Jacob Mayberry's relationship with Daniel Mayberry, it's my relationship with him. It specifically has to do with me, and maybe you two can relate to it as black men, as, you know, as men who have fathers, and maybe as fathers yourselves. However, specifically, it talks about me, so even if you find a macrocosm in it, it is a microcosm poem, because it is about Jacob Mayberry's relationship with his father. Uh, a macrocosm poem is police brutality. Now, it's not that I have not been disrespected by police or harassed, but I have never been beaten, I have never been assaulted, and because of that, it is not a microcosm piece, it is a macrocosm piece. Even though it can seemingly be a microcosm piece, because I'm black and in America, so yes, all the police brutality does relate to me, it is about the larger scale issue of a problematic system in a problematic country. So, a macrocosm poem. Um... Oh, I'll tell you the master at the macro micro, Rudy Francisco. Rudy Francisco's volcano surfing sounds ridiculous, right? And then he starts talking about, uh, he starts talking about who's brutality and being black as the greatest extreme sport. And then it becomes about him. He goes, I got pulled over by the police. And then he's like, oh, no, no, no. This is a microcosm poem the whole time. My experience expanded my thoughts to the macro. But um, when you talk about Amir uh, Suleiman's uh, Run to, run to the Hills poem, or We Must Win, that's a very macro macrocosm piece. Yes, he's Black, and he's speaking for himself as well, but he's talking about Black people as a whole and how we must win. And it, the poem is specifically about our position, and it's, that's why it's not micro. It's not about him. It's about a multitude. However, um, my poem, I Spit Fire, is specifically about my house fire. I wasn't talking about how people with house fires continue. I was talking about how Jacob Maybury continued. Like in the poem, I specifically mentioned, I, picked up, I pick up this pen and, I be, and that's what I do. I write my way out of this. That's what I've always done. But that's specific to me. Someone with a house fire who isn't a poet, that poem means nothing to them. It might be inspirational, sound good, but it's like, I'm not a writer. How do I get out of this? But it's not a macro poem, it's a micro. And because I know the difference between the micro and the macro, I know where the potency comes from. The good thing about a microcosm poem is if it's personal and emotional, if you've gone through it or if you've gone through it, Now you can relate to a different level because we're all three of us are black men. We have so much in common. We have so much in common. If we talked for half an hour, I'm sure we would find that many of our experiences parallel each other in a way. So micro is like, wow, I know he's talking about himself, but I experienced this as well. And because I experienced this as well, I can relate to this poem on a different level now. Macro is like, wow. The world is experiencing this, and I'm a part of the world, so bring me into that. But now that we've gotten the micro macro out the way, a next part of when it comes to the potency is is how you write the piece. Do you think, and this is what I said to the the young lady I was coaching last night, I said, do you think I am the first person on this earth to write a football piece? Absolutely not. It's, It's a thing that has happened before. I just happened to have the most popular football piece specifically because of where I performed it, how I wrote it, and how I performed it, which are very important things when you slam. Why this poem, why this stage, why now? So, and I, when I did the poem, I was in Texas. Right. The football mecca of America. And I was in Texas A&M. Texas A&M's college football stadium is bigger than the Raven stadium. Who is my audience? Football players, kids who go here, football fans. There is literally no better place to do this poem than now. And the power that I performed it with and the writing I added to it, it makes it more appealing to the ears. It makes it the, lyric, the lyricality and the wordplay, the double entendres that I I ensue throughout the piece make it very slick and People never thought to put things together in that manner, so it's got popular. That's the potency. Also, the potency had a lot to do with what's going on in our world currently. With Kaepernick's situation, I'm like, there is no better time than than to introduce this ideal than now, specifically because of what's going on. So potency has a lot to do with the microcosm, macrocosm, meaning personal or worldly, and then it has to do with the concept and how important the concept is in the moment. I fear that that poem will be relevant 10 years from now. I pray it isn't. I pray that people look at past 10 years from now and they're like, man, that was a crazy world back then. But I fear, I fear that it will be strangely, scarily relevant. I wrote a poem and a rap song in 2015 after the Baltimore uprisings happened. And I brought the poem back recently because it's about police brutality. And I went and listened to the song not too long ago with some uh, youngins who I was trying to teach about, like, songs you perform at shows. And they listened to the first verse, and they were like, yo, that is scarily relevant to what's going on right now. And I said, it is. Because some things are age. People have been asking me, what have you been writing about the current situation going on? And I said, I've written nothing. I already wrote the poem. I already wrote them. They don't got Ahmaud Arbery's name in them. They don't got George Floyd's name in them. They don't got Breonna Taylor's name in them because those are the new names. But they're, they're the same poem. They're the same poem, so that's what I mean about potency. How long will the poem last? What is its shelf life? Can I pull this off the shelf 15 years from now and it still have the same effect as today? That has a lot to do with my potency and concept. Um, I'll teach you a quick lesson in concept right now. Um, I have my notebook beside me. I call it the Pepsi Gatorade. Forgive me, I don't have a bottle of Pepsi or Gatorade right now. Uh, <laughs> but wait a second. So, let's say your Gatorade is your everyday poetry topic, right? What's your Gatorade? Police brutality. Uh-huh. Um, love. mm mm-hmm. Um, Relationships. Right? Common things. Suppression, common things that you always hear a poem about, that is my Gatorade. I. But before you ask why this is called Pepsi Gatorade, when I was teaching this to the students back in 2012, there was a Gatorade bottle and a Pepsi bottle in front of me and that's the only way I could teach it. So now it's called Pepsi Gatorade. Now, what's your Pepsi? Something very uncommon to write a poem about, diapers. How many people write poems about bankers? Nobody. Um, sofa rash. It's a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> Sleep on the sofa the wrong way, you can get sofa rash. Um, dragons, right? Very uncommon things. And um, hmm, broken cops. Just, see, I'm just thinking of the most random things I can think about right now. Mm-hmm. And... Shake it up. My poem is about... My Gatorade is relationships, and my Pepsi is, is sulfur rash. And, <laughs> like, this is now how I have to write my poem. So it would be like, you know... Never before did I scratch my back because I didn't know anybody had it, but I didn't know that I could love someone into a scar, into a rash. They say if someone lays on a sofa for too long with no shirt on, they will get this nasty gash called sofa rash, and it is so ferocious that you will scratch for hours. The way she left herself on my body was more of a scar than lipstick. Now I start building the poem. Now and then I work back to the end about like I just still wish there was someone to scratch my back. Poem. This is a quick way just to teach concept in writing potency. It's not about someone else has written this. It's how creative can you write it? Like I said, I'm not the first person to write a football piece. I won't be the last person. Hopefully, I definitely not after my poem. You should you should hear the copycat poems. They're really great. Uh, I actually kind like a couple of them, real talk. But um, that being said, it's all about one, the concept, two, how important the concept is, the macrocosm, the, mac- the microcosm, and uh, what way do you flip it that makes it so interesting? Because ain't nothing new under the sun, so that means you have to create a, essentially a new world every time you write. And now we get to the pin. The pin, 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 Ooh, the pin, the Oh, the pin, oh, the pin, oh, the, the pin. I would like to believe that I am... I'd say I'm 30% power. The power you see on stage is like something I'm summoning and people think that's a lot of me. But i will say 30, maybe 35% uh, power. And I would say that means I'm about 15% potency. That makes 50, yep. So that's 15% potency because I don't Super go crazy, like ridiculous, insane concept. But I just do things that you know about. and Very like Pepsi Gator, like you said. The other fifty percent of me is pin. It's 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 pin. I can't say it too many times because I worship it. Uh, as I said earlier, writing is everything. But what do I mean when I say writing? Right. What do I mean when I say becoming a writer? The pin. How powerful can the writing be? Now, putting potency and the power of the performance aside, how well can you write? I like to think if you put me in a competition of any writing caliber, I could win. Essay competition, novel competition, short story competition, uh, collected works. And I have won literary poetry competitions. I won them in high school. I was bored with it. I hated it. I thought it was dumb. But that being said, because it's so easy to imitate their favorites, it's it's very easy for me to sound like Walt Whitman or or sound like Edgar Allan Poe. Studying them for all those years, and you know, it's very easy to mold your pen to sound like one of them or Maya or, or Langston because of the years of reading or studying. But that's what I mean. How flexible is your pen? I want to talk about rappers for a second. You Know who my least favorite rappers are? Nineties guys, not nineties rappers. I love nineties not Method Man, Dmx, my favorite people on earth. However. I'm talking about the guys who exist today, and they want to rap like Fife. (laughs) They want to sound like Method Man, which is cool. Fife and Method Man are two great rap lyricists, and if you want to sound like either of them, I have all the respect in the world for you. But then you know what those guys tend to do? I will never rap like Nigos. Why not? Because that flow's stupid. Is it stupid or you can't do it? Ah, you can't do it. It's just simple little 1988 flow. I used to live downtown. That's what you is. You ain't about this real bar life. I like to believe if I got a phone call from Nas right now and he sent me the most DJ premiere boom bapish beat of all time, I'm going to destroy it. But I also like to believe if the baby sent me a beat right now and was like, yo, I want you on this, I'm gonna destroy it because the pin. What do I mean by the pin? Let's get into some specifics. One. How well do you know the poetic devices? I'm talking similes, metaphors, hyperboles, double entendres. How well can you wield those alliterations? How many types of poems do you know? Do you know Sistine's? Do you, do you know erasure poems? Do you know what a rant is, a to define rant, an anthropomorphic poem? Uh, what do you know about a persona, personification? Um, you see, epistolary poem. you see what I'm saying? Like, how do you wield all these weapons when you write? Do you even know what they are? When you write a line, are you intentional when you write a line? I know when I have written a line that I want people to react from. I was having a conversation with a poet and a stand-up comedian. And she was sharing with me this poem that she did for these um this this communist group, which was weird. And it was a pretty good piece. The pen was fine. I was like, What did you want me to feel? She said, I don't know what you mean. I said what did you write those lines for if you didn't know what you wanted me to feel? You just wanted to you just want to please them? And I told her, I'm I told her to stand a comedian. I'm so serious, I'll write a poem that I know is good, I'll perform it, and people don't react the way I want them to react to a certain line, and I'll throw away the poem. And the one story was like, Oh, you know, that's just a bad night. I said, No, 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 no. Amateurs have bad nights. I know my pen. I wrote this line because I wanted you to cheer and react right here. If you don't cheer and react right here, I didn't write the line right, I have to write the poem over, I, or I have to write this better. Or I'll spit the poem, and I'm like, damn, that's not as dope as it should be. Now I have to do this all over again. That's what I mean about pen. How much time do you spend writing? How much time do you spend writing? I talk to certain poets, they'd be like, oh, man, I wrote two poems this month. Ew. Oh, man, it takes me two months to produce a poem. Ew. I need time. Ew which gets me into the strength of the pen and how to strengthen the pen. Like anything, practice consistency. You have to continually do it. I don't write because I like to. I don't write because I want to. I write because it's a muscle memory. I swear to God, I go too long without writing. I start like feeling it physically like, oh my God, I've got to get something written because that's how long and how much I write. But for your pen and your writing consistency to be strong, you have to debunk the myth of writer's block. Mm -hmm. There is no such thing. It is made up. It is not real. It is something stupid that, if I can speak candidly, it is something stupid that morons make up to explain why they're lazy. It's not real. There is no such thing as writer's block. Think about it. What's blocking you? Mm -hmm. You? Okay, you're what's blocking you. Okay, so that means you can move out of your way. There is no such thing as writer's block. And then people are like, what if the poem don't come out how I want it? That's not writer's block. That's dope block. That means you're worried about how it sounds to people. And because you're worried about how it sounds to people, you don't like it. What if it don't sound good to me? Then edit it until it does. That's all still writing. There is no such thing as writer's block, bro. Like, yo, you literally just saw me do the Pepsi Gatorade. I made these subjects up. I didn't know I am going to pull out when uh, what I pulled out and stuff like that, and I had to make a poem about it. For me, I'm like, oh, there's my concept. Now I just got to write. I've already got the metaphor. I've already presented to myself. Also, I constantly have ideas. That's another thing. People get lazy. People get lazy. So for me, there is no such thing as writer's block. I did a workshop, right? That's what I did. I said, hey, everybody write the best poem you can write in the next 20 minutes. I'm giving the winner $5. And everybody in my room wrote. Every single person in that room wrote. And you know how disgusted I was? I was laughing to myself. So I was like, all right, before y'all share, I bet everybody $5 in this room that you've said you've had writer's block before. I said, how many of you have had writer's block before? All of them raised their hand. I said, oh, I'm keeping my money. I just want my money back. You don't need to read your poems. You would owe me the $5 anyway. I said, you see how $5, that's what, 20 quarters? 4, 8, 12, 16, 20, yeah, 20 quarters was enough for you to write a poem, and you'd be looking at me like, I can't think of nothing. For the idea of 20 quarters, you just wrote a whole great poem. It's not real. It's simply you telling yourself your poem is not good enough. And that's not writer's block. That's dope block. You think the poem isn't dope enough. Or ill enough, so you're saying, Oh, I'm not ready to write it. That's not writer's block. And okay, maybe you're not ready to write the poem you want to write. Because I believe certain poems need to marinate. Some poems take me a week, some poems take me a month, some poems take me a year. That being said, that don't mean stop writing. And that's another idea. Poets have this strange belief. Amateur poets poets, all poets, have this strange belief that every poem you write is the poem. No. Sometimes you write 15 poems and 15 of them are trash. And then the 16th poem you write, that's the one. Sometimes you write five poems and all five of them are good. But the sixth poem, garbage. Sometimes you write 20 perfect poems and you don't want to perform but two of them. I write at least 140 poems a year. I don't ever perform 140 poems. As a matter of fact, I maybe premiere about 10 to 20 of those new poems a year. Why? Because every poem is a great poem. I'm not writing to get a great poem out, I'm writing to keep myself in the motion of writing. This is why writer's block is myth. So once you realize the myth of writer's block, the pen becomes stronger because the more you do it, the better you become. The more poems you write, the better you realize, oh, I utilize this device well. Why do you think I became such a double entendre monster? I kept writing them until now, I don't even think about them anymore. When I'm writing, they just end up on my page because it's memory now. It's like, oh, it's just something I do now. Wordplay is not something I overly stress about. Um, I wrote this poem, so I'm doing this show and and it's called The Unauthorized Biography of Earl Simmons. And I'm gonna do 10 DMX songs rewritten as spoken word pieces. Or I'm gonna, the fly is gonna say retranslated as spoken word pieces. Um, what is the point of this? Um, one, because we're in the era we're in, I want to live stream it on Zoom, Instagram, Facebook, and I'm actually at a point where there actually, it might be a live performance of it while I'm live streaming it. And so I'm rewriting all these spoken, all these DMX songs and spoken word pieces. There's a DMX song called Get At Me Dog. It's one of my favorite. It might be my favorite yet. I don't know. I've been diving into his library. There's a lot of gems. There's a, that man has a lot of gems, guys. So Get At Me Dog. Unless I go through to show you that it's real? And I ain't really never give a... This feel. Get at me. I am a master skill. I'm a guru with this mass appeal. They go to a slam like, I really hope I win. I go to a slam like, what's higher than a 10? It's cliche to say that I'm fired from the pen, but in the book I'm embedded. I edit till I F up my corrections like I'm fired from the pen, but I'm more like a bullet that's been fired from the pen. But that's what y'all do. It's cliche. Your wordplay, middle school stage. My wordplay... Broadway, New York, strip, steak, raw, Monday nights, wrestling with my uncle to put the smack down, Crash no, crack ship, troubled waters, ocean blues, muddy waters, howling wolves on every corner where a lie can lead to a silver bullet so I skin the monster, werewolves, touch of mink on the streets, it's ba bah, bah, if my boys don't ban, we're in sync, rolling deep, we're Adele, computer clip, knives are buffering so you reload the clip, shooter, sh- Get around the block, Rubik's Cube, colors don't belong in certain spot. Your number's up when 12 is on the clock, except you're what they're punching out. If they grade us, I'm an A+, plus. you're a high C, don't ask me what this punch is about. I got the juice, not Shakur, not Pac, I'm a Sada, I'm a Shada, Dread me, I am drama, TNT, I don't blow up, always there, I fell down Lauren Hill if I don't show up. In slams, I split up groups just so y'all can grow up. And when I go to open mics, I dissect an open mic, spew flame, broken mic, now you got a smoking mic, man, if you're dead nice, I'm an effing poltergeist. Poetry is what you profit with. It's what I profit with. You got a nice flow. I am ice cold. We are polar opposites. Like I said, a master is here. I got viral video views. So my over is something to the atmosphere. You got best poet nominations. This is world domination. I give the atlas sphere because of these bars everybody knows my name. You don't have to cheer. We're not friends. Ain't nobody mad about you. This is a growing pain, and because of you, poets get mashed and burnt like Notre Dame dash from my acapellas, or get split in half like Rockefeller. Yeah, yeah. I'm a UFO mixed with UFC. I'm a UFO mixed with UFC, and I'm ill CDC. Now I'm dragon DBZ. We're not in the same class GED. I carry poetry on my back to my disc crack. DVD. I know my phone boys in heaven because when drugs took his life, I watched the G O D. So spare me with who's the best talk. I'm tired of you rolling with that. Trust fall. Ain't nobody holding me back. So anyway, when I wrote that, my op, what I was tending to do was make fun of poets. Because what I'm hearing a lot of lyrical poets do the, the fire from the pin part that I did earlier, where they'll say something and they'll say it in a different manner. I'm like, oh, that's what y'all do. Let me show you what real word play wordplay is. And I can do that because I know, like, oh, I know how well wordplay works and how to weave different subjects together. We could spend 45 minutes breaking down that poem, but we don't have to. That's why I spit it.
1: <laughs> I can't, I can't hear Listen, that right, there. Listen to that right there. It's kind of like uh, Fred the Godson. We, you know, it's a guy with the soul, Fred the Godson, drink. The drink. like how every line was, like, leading to the next line, but it's, you, you still stuck on the same drink. Like, so when you said, like, I, I was following you, you said, that's what y'all do. I said, oh, here you go. He he gotta get into it. He said, I'm ice cold. We polar opposites, like stuff like that. Like I I hear poets all the time trying to say I'm gonna run it back and then say it slower. But you, you I heard everything you said, and I and, and I follow every every single line, every untimed, double, triple, quadruple. I followed it, bro. Like you, you have to run it back. So we talking about caliber. So what you said is is case in point. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. first of all, respect for that man, and then like. One, when, when with the pen, one thing I found to be important too, to add on what you said is uh, when, when having a flexing your pen is also knowing how many times you can memorize it. I like running back in your head. Now I heard mm-hmm. Jay-Z say, that's my symbol Jay-Z is that he go 18 times before he go and do it out loud. And so I tried that, right? Mm-hmm. I did a, um, Neo Elite, Neo Elite, like the poetry uh amps, DMV type thing, being in the room with the color, plain color wall, you do anything like, right. Color. So um. Right. Well, I, I said, look, I am I got Monday. I, I did a Friday. So it's a Monday. I'm going to go 18 times each day to play it to Friday. I did that. And by Friday, it was like I was walking and I heard every word, like, clear day in my head. Like, you like, oh, this ain't really in me. So I said, you know what? I got to do more of this because normally when it comes to the pen and it comes to practice and it comes to flexing, I found myself getting past a writer's block, quote unquote, because like, am like, man, I already know, like, like you say, it's, it's really just me. They write a is me, so when it comes to writing books, writing poems, like nah, I, let me just think about it some more. Write something down, something will come. And so a lot of the the one liners, two liners, you come back and finish them. You uh-huh. know, put so thought into it. So. Respect for that. you definitely Just, you know what I'm saying, shed some light on a lot of things right
2: there. Appreciate it. Repetition, 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 repetition. When people have heard me do a poem, I have practiced it 200 times. And that I have performed it at least 10 times that they don't know about for my parents, for my best friend, for my homeboy, for my girl, if I have one at the time. Currently, I'm just out, you know, I'm out here living reckless. We ain't going <laughs> <laughs> to talk about that. We ain't going to talk about that. Black shot Black Shock living his best life right now. We ain't get that. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, yo, like when it comes to that pen, man, the strength that you're putting into the writing, the surety behind it. Like, yo, if you can hear, if you hear it in my performance, I don't doubt if it's dope or not. I know it is. And it's a confidence that follows that. And even if your poem isn't about being lyrical, if my poem is about a dying star, it would sound just as powerful and potent because I know the pin backs it up. You see, the pen is the last thing I talk about, but the pen is the strength of the power and the potency. Because it don't matter how powerful you perform, if you're up there screaming a bunch of nothing, you look stupid. If the pen ain't strong, you can be as loud and as powerful as you want. You look stupid. It don't matter. You could be talking about relationships. And everybody could think that's dope. Everybody's like, wow, wow, I really enjoyed that poet's poem on relationships. Wow, how powerful, how greatly written. And then I hit the stage. And it's like, oh, no, that relationship poem is how it's supposed to be done. That's, that's how it goes. I see. Because that's what the pen do. The pen changes everything. I'm not outdoing poets because I can outperform them. I'm not outdoing poets because I got better subjects. Heck, me and most poets are writing the same things. We're writing the same things. It's what my pen can do. It's me morphing words. It's me expanding on subjects. It's me weaving from a double entendre into a speck. Like, yo, that's why the last part of the poem, I start spelling things out. I was like, this should be fun.
1: Because I'm like, oh, now
2: you have double entendres? Now watch this. That's what I be doing. I'm like, here's a punchline. Here's here's a punchline for you. Here's a double entendre. Here's a triple entendre. Now here's a metaphor. In my regular pieces, I like to go, I'll I'll have a rhyme pattern, and then I'll stop the rhyme pattern and just hit a bunch of double entendres, and then I'll do a rhyme pattern with double entendres, and then I'll just stop rhyming and doing double entendres, and I'll just do nothing but metaphors for a whole 15-20 seconds, and then I'll bring back the double entendres at the end. Like I like playing with devices. Some poems I say, I'm not going to write a single rhyme in this entire poem, and I'm just going to write it all metaphors, all similes. I'm not going to do metaphors or similes in this entire poem. This poem is going to be all double autoges. As a matter of fact, this poem may go have double entendre, metaphor, simile. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to even do a poetic device. I'm going to talk, and I'm going to see if that can work. As a matter of fact, this poem is going to be all alliteration. I'm going to write this whole poem in alliteration and see how it comes out. This poem is going to be repetition. Oh, this poem is going to be a double entendre while being a personification. That's what the poem Dope was. I was personifying drugs. I'm not saying I'm dope. It's the drug saying I'm dope. But the drug is bragging about it, egotistical. But only midway through the poem do you realize, oh, he's speaking from the perspective of the drug. Because the entendre. I'm dope. But the drug is really the dope. But the triple underlined entendre is, oh, no, the drug is literally a dope writer as well. So it's like, a, it's, you know, those are the underlining things. That's what I mean about pen. When you construct a poem, the levels. I have a poem called Kingdom by the Sea. I, I won't spit it because um, I don't know how much time I'm taking up, stuff like that. But um, Edgar Allan Poe has this poem um, called uh, Annabelle Lee. I was a child and she was a child in this kingdom by the sea. We love the love that was deeper than love. I am my Annabelle Lee. And Annabelle Lee is about you know the loss of his, uh, his young wife. She was younger than him and she died. The kingdom by the sea, he's talking about is Baltimore. That's the harbor, you understand? Second thing that happened, um, there's this poet named George Mendez from uh, Virginia. Him and his poet wrote this book called Candy and Rigo Mortis. It's a collection of spoken word pieces or poems that are like horror themed. so you might have poems from the perspective of Jason. And he has a poem, it's very short, it's called The Ghost of Edgar Allan Poe. And I was like, ooh, I liked it, but I think I could do this better considering I'm a Poe fan and I'm from Baltimore. Like the Ravens are named after his poem. I mean, the mascot is named Poe. I mean, I've been to Edgar Allan Poe's house downtown Baltimore. I should be the guy. Also, every year, I give myself a series of poems. You know how poets be like, I have nothing to write about. Every year, I give myself a 10-poem series. And that 10-poem series can expand into the next year for me sometimes. So 2016, going into 2017, my poem was Hip Hop, the, uh, the Immortal. And most of the battle rap poems, with the exception of Battle Rap from the Black Boy to the Casket, those all come from that series. And I wrote an ode to Gangster Rap. I wrote this poem called The Dead MC Scrolls. You know, all those come from that 10-poem series. The next 10-poem series I wrote was Ghost Poems. My poem Running Through Graveyards, Battle Rap from the Black Boy to the Casket. Kingdom by the Sea, that I wrote, is nothing but the ghost of Edgar Allan Poe. Um uh, I have this poem called The Chilling, the Frightening Tales of Nipsey Hustle. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and like, uh, there's a lot of these poems that you may never hear, but I wrote them all. I wrote them all. And through them, I got, I got great poems, and I got poems that I'll never use, and I got poems that I can edit and encourage. Just keeping myself occupied. When I was saying earlier, when I was like, man, I'm just burdened with all the writing I have to do. So the first level of my poem is I understand it's the ghost of Edgar Allan Poe. The second level is I work out Edgar Allan Poe references throughout the poem. The third level is, if you are someone who reads Edgar Allan Poe and you hear the opening of Kingdom by the Sea, you're realizing that I have now flipped this literary art. But also, the next layer is I am from Baltimore, like I am a Baltimore poet like him, and we are still experiencing horrors. This is what I mean about pin. There are so many levels that I try to build from while I'm writing a poem. And I understand that everybody hearing it isn't going to get those levels. But I'm not writing it for everyone hearing it. I'm writing it for the scholars who are gonna look at this poem and go, oh, he took influence from this, he took influence from this, and he built it upon his own style. Like, these are things that I do as someone who studies the art form, as someone who reads the art form and stuff like that. That's what all about, all that is encompassing the pen. So knowing your devices, having confidence in your writing, understanding what writing is, and studying the art form. Like I told you, I'm not talented, I'm skilled. I had to read a lot of poetry. I don't like poets who don't study poetry. It's like, bro, I'm not a fan of Robert Frost, but I read Robert Frost. I'm not a fan of Walt Whitman, but I read Walt Whitman. These are the necessities, like find out the styles and the different things that came before you because it's one thing, if you, last thing I'll say about him, um, you go to a restaurant, you order a steak, the steak is delicious, you demand to see the chef, chef comes out, You say, chef, are you the person who cooked this steak? They say, yes, I am. You say, this is amazing. The best steak I ever had. While you're eating it, you drop the steak knife. And you ask the chef, I'm sorry, I dropped my knife. Could you give me another? The chef hands you a butter knife. I am now disgusted. I am leaving the restaurant. I do not care how well you can cook a meal. If you do not know the difference between a steak knife and a butter knife, you are not a master chef. And that, to me, makes the difference when it comes to the pin. How well have you mastered your craft? How well, what time do you put into the study of it? So that is power, that is potency, and that is pen.
0: Let me ask you, what's your ideal trajectory? Where do you, I don't want to say where do you see yourself, where are you taking yourself? Because that's that's what I get from you, from this hour and a half uh, conversation I'm getting. You have a vision, you're writing it down, you're studying And you know where you're going. So what is your ideal trajectory?
2: Spoken word, Dave Chappelle. Mm. I want multiple streaming services. I want multiple multiple poetry specials on the platform. Man, when I tell you the ideas I got, the poetry special, that the big one I'm working on is called The Reagan Era, in which I will be both myself and the ghost of Ronald Reagan but Ronald Reagan could only come back and explain himself through a black person because that's his punishment. And that's my big piece that I'm writing. And I can sell that to like uh, American government programs at schools. I can sell that to different play programs. I can perform that in a suit and it'll be relevant because it talks about an effed up Republican president, but also there'll be, I'll be his speeches into spoken word pieces. And I have the dialogue between me and him about the acts he did. And then the third part, of the poem, The Tertiary, is me writing poems from the perspective of people who were destroyed or hurt in the Reagan era, which is why which is why he does not deserve to be remembered as this great president. That's the show I want for the Netflix special, but that, that might come out the Amazon Prime special. But I also have a show called Bullets, Beats, and Bars, which is the story of a boy from Baltimore. And then I have a show called Rumble Stillskin, which is about my hunt for gold and why I fight so hard to be at the top and stuff like that. These are all ideas. I'm cursed with them, and now this Grease show and this DMX show that I'm writing right now, and if the DMX show goes fine, then I can produce 10 10 Jay-Z pieces into spoken word poems, 10 Eminem, oh, this whole show I wanna do called the Eminem, the Mayberry Mathers, where I rewrite 10 Eminem songs into spoken word pieces. So through these ideas and the writing I can produce for them, because I can produce writing at a very fast and high level. I'm doing the, sh- all its poems ain't written for the DMX show. I got 10 poems, I've written six so far. I got four more poems to write, and then I gotta memorize them by the second week of July. Not No sweat. That being said, it's hard work, and I'm willing to put it in and I'm willing to do it, because sacrifice is the art of being great. So yeah. because of that, my trajectory, I'm shooting for the streaming services. It looks like Amazon Prime is my first stop, and then I'm trying to get us to Netflix. After Netflix, I'm trying to get tours. After tours, I'm trying to get a live spoken word album that can be put up for a Grammy. Because there's right. a spoken word category in a Grammy, but no spoken word artist ever won it.
0: There is? No. Oh.
2: No, no spoken word artist. No, none. None. Dave Chappelle. It's a
0: category. One. It's a category. a category.
2: Yep, Dave Chappelle won it last year. Wow. For uh, his last stand up it exists speech politicians usually win it or people who are like uh life coaches they win it no poet has ever won it and I, i look to change that
0: so slam has allowed you to build your rolodex
2: slam has allowed me to gain the popularity i need to get into the rooms i need to get into
0: Slam. And build your Rolodex because now you have those names and phone oh, numbers yes. in your Absolutely. phone. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. And through these connections and through these people and the way I've been blessed with the ability to explain what I want and what are my ideas, I, I have a lot of things coming for me. And I just have to stay healthy and yeah. work my butt off.
0: Yeah. yeah. So choose a lane. Choose a lane. Choose a lane. Choose a lane, mm-hmm. because I think that's a weakness in the poetry community. I, 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 um, it's almost like a lot of poets don't know there are lanes that they can choose from. You know what I mean? And and that and a lane that can that they can drive in to an actual destination.
2: Absolutely. Like you're
0: you're you're actually. You have a nice car driving in your lane to your destination.
2: Absolutely. And that was intentionality. I had to figure out what my lane was. One day I woke up and I decided I didn't want to try and sound like other poets. I decided I wanted to sound like me. And me is a very lyrical, dope, battle rap sounding person. Why why not sound like that? As a poet, why try not to be my authentic self? That's stupid. All the best poets sound like themselves. So, first lane I figured out was my sound. Got it. The next lane, I was like, okay, Slam is the vehicle I will use to show people how elite my sound is. It's a Got competition. So, and yeah. then because of that, it raised my status, it raised my resume. Do I think Slam is for every poet? Absolutely not. Heck. Right. Um, right. There's a poet in DC, his name's Orville, the poet. I think he I think Orville be great for slam. Orville don't slam, he never would. Orville had a conversation with me. He was like, you know, I don't know if I would want my work judged like that. I told him your work's always being judged. Slam is just them judging it out loud. However, right. I think the brother's good enough where he don't need slam. You understand? Yeah. Orville yeah. Orville has the brain and a mind for yeah. this where I think he will be quite successful without slam. Totally. He, he understands potency. Better yeah. than many poets, like yeah. he did for the cancer awareness, the fighting, yeah. like that. I'm like, yeah. what a way to attack something social and use poetry as yeah. this, as this force to fight this thing and like and to introduce it to this new audience and to bring all these people in, these cancer yeah. survivors into what we do. It's genius. He's got the eye. He understands potency very well, and because you he know. potency so well, he don't need slam as a lane.
0: His community, his lane—not um, only is is poetry obviously, um, but it's it's community. His lane is community. He's a galvanizer, as really you can good. see with pure poetry, right? And he's learned that that that's his lane, and he's doing quite well in that lane. It's—he just had his eight-year anniversary for pure poetry. Amazing, you know, that's, by the way. That's that's unheard of. That's unheard of, man. To be that consistent and to plan and maintain monthly events and still have a uh, a growing crowd because a lot of times, you know, your your attendee will say, "Well, I've been to the last one. I'm good. I'll, 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 maybe I'll come to the to the next one," you mm-hmm. know, and that's the that's the hard part to create such a community where it's where you've created FOMO. Fear of missing out. I don't know what's going to happen at the next Peer Poetry. I got to be there. That's that's huge. And I think he, he's definitely mastered um, building a community. Um, man, this has been a wealth of, of information. I just had to sit back and just listen, man. This has been a, a workshop. This, you know, I'm <laughs> good. Great. And you know what? I, what I'm really excited about is the fact that, um, you know, when your episode drops and I got I to find out what that date is. But um, when your episode drops, it drops on a Monday that same week, that Friday is when we will have um, a workshop where you will go even deeper um, into and, and you could just go, you know, and and we'll have students in there just wanting to learn and. First of all, meet you, but also just uh, get some mentorship from you, and and I'm really excited about it. We got to do some more work, man. Um, and but at the same time, you got a whole lot on your plate. You 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 have all deaf poetry going on right now uh, with introverse, uh, you know, and so, so you just did. You they just brought back um, uh, deaf po- all uh, deaf poetry jam. Mm-hmm. Man, that's what got me into spoken word. Same.
2: Oh my. Yeah, there are there are brave new voices, kids, and there are deaf poetry jam kids. We're we're definitely amongst the deaf poetry jam kids.
0: Yeah, man that that's where that's where I got the idea for fighting cancer with poetry, and that's kind of how I uh, templated my my events as you know bringing the poets together. And just letting them go off of you know the, the with their messaging, man. Um Black Shocker, man, I really appreciate you coming on, man. And and I'm I really excited about definitely, man. I, I'm excited about all of what you have going on and learning more. Um, but also putting this information into the universe because this episode here, I believe, is gonna be rewound, uh rewatched. Um, Fast forwarded, slowed down, you know, and and just studied uh, because that that mastering power, potency and pen. That's a whole new that's a that's a that's a that's another idea for you, because that's that's a whole class, a course. Because poets need to hear that. You know, most poets are just writing what they feel. And that's it. (laughs) Uh, And and that's, you know, okay. if that's the lane that you want to be in, not a problem. But again, intentionality uh, about where you want to go with it. If it's just you just want to write, okay, you just want to write. But if you want to go somewhere with it, you have to be. Intentional man, and, and you've done the work. Um, um, you've studied, you had your mentors, you're a mentor now, and uh, I'm just so excited, man. Um, J Roddy what do you have, man? I don't know what else to say, man. Not
1: to thank you, man, because you definitely gave a lot of insight. Um, a, a lot of the questions that I had about uh, my fortune, you brought a lot of advice on how to further do that, and a lot of the things that you've done, like I've I'm glad, I'm fortunate enough to be uh, in, in that same boat in some ways of what you were talking about too, brother. So, um, your success it speaks for itself. Like I said, when I, when I heard we are interviewing you, like I said, oh man, I'm ready for this. It's gonna be a good episode because I already knew. I said, I already seen you in person, man. I already seen you live. You know what I'm saying? I got a chance to be with you one time. Like, you know, I or, already or, 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 you know that you a solid individual and, and even more solid poet. So again, man, I want to thank you for being on the platform with this man, just chopping it up. Thank you. Yes, sir.
0: Black like Chakra, if you could leave something um, you know, f- for our guests before we drop off, you know, what would you have for them, man? Your
2: story is worth telling because your story is not yours alone. Every artist who is a poet has been given the gift of saying these things and writing these things as a light bearer. We are the children of indigo. God don't distribute these gifts to everybody for a reason. Uh, statistic- statistically, more people suffer from stage fright than they do fear of death, which means more people would rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. And because you have found the ability to do this, your story is important. Even if you're some white kid who has gone through nothing, or if you're some urban kid who doesn't even like the sound of your voice because teachers made you think that you don't speak proper enough, your story is worth being told. And we all need to hear it.
0: Wow. Thank you much thank you so much sir uh, thank you for everybody watching please subscribe to the YouTube channel poet life TV on YouTube please also subscribe to our uh, podcast on any anywhere that you listen to podcasts whether it's iTunes Spotify wherever just subscribe also leave a review and uh, just stay connected with us go to thepoetlife.com. follow us everywhere on social media at The Poet Life, but also Poet Life podcast. We really appreciate everybody. We're super excited about where this is going. This is uplifting the poetry community, but also building the poetry industry because it's so necessary. I want my kids to to one day say, Daddy, I want to be a poet when I grow up and there's a lane for it. There's an industry for it, right? And so that's what we're doing here. Uh, you know, I, I, I wish that was, uh, you know, someone said that to me, but there was, I was told by a millionaire that there was no money in poetry and that for a second made me put my pen down, but I picked it back up and kept writing. But then I also thought about the business behind it. And I said, let's, let's do a clothing line. Let's do a podcast. Let's so that's you another, that's another if, episode. You know
2: what, if I could just say, you know why that's what yeah. Because Jay-Z is making millions of dollars off of poetry. That's what I'm... Come on, man. Beyonce's writers are making hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars off of poetry. But then they'll say, that's singing,
0: that's rap.
2: Lyrics are don't not... you understand are poetry. But they see people's definition and idea of poetry is so minimal. Speech writers are poets. It's like, poetry is making a lot of money. The art of saying words... And giving them power makes lots of money. Once you realize that's poetry, there's millions of dollars. in it. It's gold. Tupac was a
0: poet. He he said it himself. Come on, man. Right, look, let's listen Oh my lord! Come on, bro. You try to go another two hours back because I can go. <laughs> listen, man. Uh, so let let's let's do this. So we can end this. Let's let's do. Let's continue. Um, man, if I could pull up the date, uh, let's continue. I'll put it in the um, the caption uh, of the video in, in the podcast. But uh, let's continue this um, in the workshop. So everybody, go to thepoetlife.eventbrite.com and 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 register register for for this man's workshop. As you can see, it's just going to be full, you know, and you want to get that information. Everybody, thank you so much for listening and watching. This has been the the Poet Life Podcast. Go check it out today on your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Apple Music, and the
1: website, thepoetlife.com. Find a way. Find a way. Ain't get no time now. You in the way. I'm doing fight now. Out of my business. Find a way. Mm. Find a way. Podcast. Thank y'all for having me.